0: We are joined by the author of a book called One Punch from the Promised Land, Leon Spinks, Michael Spinks, and the myth of the heavyweight title, John Florio. John, great to have you on Combat Sports Radio. How are you?
1: All right, great to be here. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: So uh, let's dive in. You write that the Spinks brothers grew up in a very dangerous housing project in North St. Louis. You describe it as an urban American lord of the flies. How do these two brothers get their start in boxing and what lured them to the sport?
1: Well, you know, it's a good question, and that's really the beginning of their story. You know, they grew up in Pruitt, Idaho, and we say it was an urban American Lord of the Flies. I mean, it was was a horrific housing disaster in St. Louis. These these high-rises were built. Supposedly, they were going to put an end to the urban American slum. You know, the other cities were looking at it. They were planning on doing similar um, high-rises, and it ended up being a disaster. You know, the crime was so bad that uh, the police wouldn't answer emergency calls in the area. You know, uh, we we interviewed Leon and Michael's friends there, and and they would say that they would play in the the basement of the buildings. They would know when somebody had been killed because they would smell the the decomposing body. They said, we we, we got familiar with the smell, and we'd, we'd go tell people somebody else must have been killed. So this was all gang warfare that was going on there. Leon and Michael, along with a bunch of other guys, went to a local uh, gym and started getting into boxing, you know, as a means to protect themselves, but also it was a separate community. You know, the guy there, his name was Kenny Lore. He's still there as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Kenny Lore was kind of a father figure, which the guys the kids didn't have, Leon and Michael or other people there because back then at those housing complexes, you couldn't get one of those apartments if there was an able bodied male in the family. So even when guys were able to work, they wouldn't be there with the families. The government. So there were really no father figures here. The kids gravitated toward this uh, boxing gym where this guy Kenny Lohr was, and he got them into a separate community. And, and And the amateur boxing scene there in St. Louis was great at the time. So they ended up gravitating toward boxing. What they didn't realize is that they were gravitating toward an incredibly strong amateur boxing program
0: author John Florio joining us today on the show. Now, it was always, I guess, kind of obvious to fans that Leon and Michael at times seemed to be very opposites. Give us an insight as to how they were different, both as boxers and as individuals. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know if the show's long enough to cover that <laughs> <laughs> You know,
1: the, um, we, when we first started the book, we were going to call it Mismatch. And it was going to be the story of the two brothers taking such different paths. And Really, they were different in every way. Leon, as boxers, and, that, and and that's how everybody knows them, looking at that, Leon didn't really like the training at all. I mean, there were stories in the book. We have some classics in there. One was from Howard Davis, who was on that Olympic team with the two brothers, uh, and he was another gold medalist. There were there were five on there. Sugar Ray Leonard and Leo Randolph were also on the team. And um, Howard Davis tells stories about like Leon coming in after being out all night and splashing water on himself so the coaches would think he was coming in from road work to make him look he was He couldn't pay he didn't like the training, but he loved to fight. He loved mm. to get the ring, loved to uh to actually, you know, uh put the gloves on when it was the real deal, but he didn't like prep it. Michael really liked the gym. He was always in shape, you know. If anything, one of the reasons Michael was such a great champ and why he won a lot of his fight is, fights is that he was always in tip top shape. But he really didn't like the fight. He, he didn't like getting in there uh, when when it was on the line. He didn't like getting hurt. He didn't like hurting other people. And he was what they used to call in St. Louis a scary fighter, meaning that he was kind of an easily, he was an intimidated fighter. Uh-huh. He fought um, from a very defensive way of not wanting to get hurt, whereas Leon, of course, was reckless sure. and, and just marched on in. You know, uh, uh, Howard Davis told the story. He said, if you told Leon to get in the ring and fight a lion he would actually get in the ring and <laughs> fight the lion like he really
0: would that's get crazy. it and, and, that, and that's just that's one indication that, that it, it, it's
1: pervasive through their whole personality leon with his money was reckless michael was very conservative leon with partying was reckless michael was very conservative you know the list goes on and
0: on i always found very interesting how leon was given a title shot in only his right. eighth professional fight Now, did they pick Leon because they thought that he was going to be easy to beat? Like, what perception did they have of Leon uh, at that time? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ali thought this was a pushover. I mean, he was coming off, Ali was coming off, you know, uh, the third Norton fight was exhausting. He had come off a a really tough fight with Ernie Shavers. He's at the tail end of his career. He's looking for an easier payday. Leon was a gold medalist, and that was how uh, Ali kind of was able to defend it to the press. He said, I want to fight all the gold medalists. Uh-huh. Before I retire, I got this guy. And, uh, you know, he's, he's new, but he's a gold medalist. And he used, as a precedent, Floyd Patterson had fought a guy named Pete Rodemacher, and it was his first professional fight. So Ali said, you know, well, it's been done before, and I'm going to give him a shot because I want to get all the gold medalists. I, I got Foreman, I got all of them, yeah. And But that wasn't really, you know, that was his um, typing of the fight. The truth is, he, he thought it was going to be an easier fight. And then, you know, before the fight, he goes out to Las Vegas, and he's he's up. He's about to do his road work, and he sees Leon coming in in the morning. And Leon's been out all night, and he's been drinking. And Ali looks at the, his handlers, uh, and he says to Chin Chou, his business guy, he says, "What am I doing, bothering and like working out to this guy? I, I don't even, you know, this is like a joke." And but then when he got in there, Leon, being so reckless, you know, he he just went in there and was a. Uh, I don't want to say he was a wild man, Mm -hmm. but because that sounds like he was not schooled at all. He was schooled, but, you know, he barely threw jabs, Leon. He was just a relentless fighter, and uh, Ali wasn't expecting him to bring him a fight
0: like that. Let's talk about when Michael fought Mike Tyson. It was always rumored around in, in all the boxing circles that Michael Spinks was afraid of Tyson, that he didn't want to fight Tyson, that he was scared of him. Is there any truth to that rumor from what you found?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. That was true. I mean... And Michael, by the way, was vocal about, you know, his fears. Like, he spoke about being afraid of Jerry Cooney. He thought he was going to get in against a really big guy. You know, Michael's a beefed up light heavyweight, really. I mean, yeah. he was a heavyweight champ, but he was always a more natural heavyweight. Here he is, he's beating Larry Holmes. He beats Jerry Cooney, beats Holmes twice, beats um, uh, Stefan Tongstad, which was a, not really a, as much of a test. But then he also fights Jerry Cooney, who's like a 6'6", and he beats him. So now he's in against, uh, he's in against Tyson. So before the fight, this this story comes courtesy of a few people, but particularly from Emmanuel Stewart, who uh, gave wow. us a great, uh, great, great interview before he passed. And he um, he was telling us that uh, before the fight, I, I don't know if you remember, you know, we're going back many,
0: many years, but uh, there was a big delay before that fight. There was. And, there was some stalling, I think I remember, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a lot of posturing going on. And what yeah. they were saying on
1: the, uh, on the air was that if both fighters at that point were undefeated. We, th- through a number of things happened. There was there had been an HBO round robin that was supposed to decide one champ, but Michael Spinks pulled out in the middle to fight Cooney, so Tyson won the belts. So you have Michael as
0: the linear champ, right. not holding any belts, undefeated,
1: and uh, Tyson, who's now the alpha. I mean, you could say the alpha <laughs> that's the champ. I mean, he was the big he was the big name at the time. Sure. Unified the title, sure. but had not beaten the man who beat the man, right? So you got these two undefeated guys. What they're saying on the air is, well, they both feel their chance. So they both want to come out last. So yeah. that was the first thing they were saying. Sphinx was refusing to come out because he thinks Tyson should come out first because he's the real champ and blah, 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 blah. Then the cameras pull in, and Butch Lewis is in Mike Tyson's dressing room. And he's saying, I want to see those hands wrapped Tyson's hands were unwrapped in front of me, we want somebody who uh, can, uh, somebody from our camp should have been here, you're not following the rules, they call Larry Hazard in, Hazard comes in, he's the commissioner at the time, um, uh, of New Jersey, uh, athletic commission, he comes in, and there's this big thing going on in Tyson's dressing room, Tyson gets so upset, he turns around and punches a hole in the wall. puts a hole right through the wall so now butch lewis is saying i'm looking at this i'm thinking my guy's inside holy jesus but you know the truth is that everybody said why is butch lewis doing this to uh, really anger tyson like this but the truth was the real thing was going on in michael Spinks's dressing room michael didn't want to come out of the dressing room wow. he said i'm not i'm not going to leave i he was and according to emmanuel stewart he said he was really freaking out and he just didn't get in there with Tyson I mean Tyson at that point was like you know he had knocked out he had knocked down Trevor Burbick three times sure. with one punch you know he knocks him down he gets up he doesn't even swing again Berbick mm-hmm. goes down he gets up he goes down again it was very very intimidating to Michael Spank so Michael you know took the fight he ended up going out there he never really he was not fighting his fight you know and he was off his game it you know, 91 seconds it's famous and, um, and then he goes down and, you know, he retires. But, you know, one of the things about that fight, years earlier, Michael Spinks had fought uh, Dwight Muhammad Kawi. He was mm-hmm. kind of a Tyson-like guy, you yeah. know, smoking smoking Joe kind of fighter. You know, he would be coming in. And Tyson's, uh, I'm sorry, Michael Spinks' strategy at that time, courtesy of Eddie Fudge, was to throw lefts, left, jab, 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 sure. jab, jab, and keep moving to your left. Neutralize his hook, keep moving to your left. But what started that fight, Michael threw the sphinx jinx. he threw that overhand right, and he stung Kawe, mm-hmm. and then he started dancing the rest of the fight. He got on his bicycle, and they said, you know, the, the, the analysts of that fight said, well, you know, Kawe was not quite as aggressive as he was. He showed Michael a lot of respect because he got stung by that, that overhand right in the first uh, round. He realized that Michael had some punching power. So now, you know, fast forward to the Tyson fight, and Eddie Fudge is telling uh, Sphinx, do the same thing. Jab, jab, stay to the left, neutralize his hook, and come the fifth to sixth rounds, we get, we, we go to our game. Get him into the deep water and drown him. That's mm-hmm. what Eddie Fudge kept saying. Mm-hmm. But Butch Lewis, who Michael had a real lot of respect for and listened to a lot, was telling him, yeah, yeah, that's all fine, you know, get him in the deep water and drown him. But first, you've got to get some respect. Nail him with that Sphinx jinx. Nail him once and then <laughs> get on your bike like you did with Kali. So Michael went in there that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to land an overhand right, sting him, and then figured, I'm going to run, I'm going to jab, and I'm going to get the hell out of here yeah. for, for five rounds. But, you know, he didn't land that punch. He threw it a few times and he missed it. And Tyson, at this point, was just, you know, so incensed. I mean, he came out there and that, and that was the end of it. He probably, looking back, you know, maybe had Michael gotten on his bike earlier, it might have helped, um, you know, but I know there was a big, big, a uh, bone of contention between Butch Lewis and Eddie Futch after that
0: fight because Eddie Futch kept telling Butch Lewis, you blew it for us because he should not have tried to sting Tyson. Right. He should have
1: stayed the heck on his
0: bicycle. Well, a lot of interesting stories. Now, Michael retired after that Tyson fight with a very decent record. He had uh, 31 wins, uh, one loss, that loss, 21 yeah. wins by KO. Very respectable record. Leon, on the other hand, stayed around longer than, than he should have. At, uh, okay. at some point, it was almost... Embarrassing to watch this guy fight. Why did he continue to fight and stick around for such a long time?
1: Well, there's a, yeah, there's, a, there's a few reasons for that. I think one is that he liked to fight, you know, and that was one thing. It's what he knew. Um, he had gone through his money. I mean, he went through it all immediately. Uh, of all the promoters we spoke with, they all agree that whatever you paid Leon, I mean, with the exception of the Ali fight where he was getting like $3 million, which took him like about four months to go through, the, the, the amount of money he would make, he would spend that night. Whatever he had, he would spend that yeah. you know, by, by the time the night is over. So he always needed money. Um, so that's really the main reason is he liked to fight. He needed money. And there was always a promoter around who was ready to put, you know, Leon Spinks, uh, you know, Leon, the man who beat Ali Spinks, into the fight with somebody because it would, it would generate some kind of interest. So at the end in, in the book, there's a number of stories toward the end of Leon's career in the 90s um, when Leon was, had definitely stuck around so long um, about some of the fights he had toward the end. One of them, one of the particularly interesting ones is um, he fought a guy named Eddie Curry. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Curry, according to the promoter of that fight, a, uh, a, who was, uh, he was managing Leon at the time and he put the fight together. Um, his name was uh, Charles Farrell. And Charles was telling us, you know, Eddie Curry was what he called a dive artist, meaning if you paid Eddie Curry, Eddie Curry would lose the fight. So we were we were interviewing uh, Farrell, you know, and Eddie Curry had lost fourteen of his last eighteen fights. Wow. So he was four and fourteen going into this fight. And Farrell said, "Well, you know, you know, I'm I figured." I'm handling Leon, I'm managing Leon. There's no reason to fix this fight because Leon can't lose to a guy who's four and 14. <laughs> and if he does, then he doesn't. Deserve, he shouldn't be in the ring. Well, it's an eight round fight and it turns out that Leon does lose. <laughs> and there's a poster up that says, uh, a, you know, Sphinx Curry fight, you know, the, the five posters that uh-huh. they have throughout an uh-huh. auditorium. And at the bottom it says um, 10 rounds. That it was a misprint, it was a typo, it was an eight uh-huh. round fight, it said 10 rounds. So Farrell looks at it and said, oh, well, you know, I can work with this. I can do something here. So he starts uh, with the other, ma- the other side, and he starts saying, wait a minute, there's two more rounds to fight. And they're going, no, there is not. And he goes, no, 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 there's two more rounds to fight. And the other manager says, all right, well, wait, I see what you're trying to do here. What, you know, let's go in the back room. Mm-hmm. So they go in the back room, and he says, you guy has to go out there. It's a 10-round fight. And then he said, I knew Eddie Curry wouldn't go out. Eddie Curry got paid by the round." And he wasn't gonna go fight two rounds that he wasn't getting paid, nobody would. So the guy said, well, how do you wanna handle this? And he said, well, um, Leon needs a victory. So what they did was they decided that they, even though it had already been announced, I mean, there were 300 Uh people in the arena that heard, you know, Eddie Curry is the winner of this fight. They reverse it on a handshake and they make it a disqualification and they give Leon the victory and Eddie Curry is disqualified for not answering the bell in the night, so they actually reversed the decision, and then shortly after that, uh, they put um, Leon so now He's he's already flipped. He's turned the loss into a victory. He now goes in in his next fight, and he fights a guy named John Carlo. Giancarlo, John Carlo, the uh, the people who were doing the fight fudged his record and put in a phony record, but actually John Carlo had never fought as a professional before. He goes in there and he knocks Leon out on oh. his third punch, wow. and he realized. He said, "You know what? He just shouldn't be fighting at all. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to handle this at all." Because we spoke with John Carlo, he says I threw a punch and I saw um, he, him block it. So then I I did the same thing, but I faked it, and then I threw a hook. He goes, and then he was out, and he was out for the count. He said, I, did, I, "I don't even know how the hell it happened. The guy has <laughs> never fought a professional <laughs> fight." So now this is a guy who was champion of the world. Right. We're talking here. I'm not trying to. Take away from Leon. What I'm saying is the guy was head stuck around way too long. His skills were totally gone.
0: What are Leon and Michael up to now?
1: Leon, unfortunately, is fighting dementia. Mm -hmm. He has, um, he's in a brain study at the Lou Ruvo Center out in Las Vegas, which will help fighters in the future. It's it's too late for Leon now. But what they're trying to determine by watching young fighters is to see at what point of fighting, um, if there's a way of testing with MRIs or whatever to spot like when somebody's at the point where they should get out of the game so Leon's part of that study there's a lot of young fighters in it and they hope that not this study but this generation but the next generation of fighters they'll be able to help um so Leon you know and by the way they don't know for sure that that dementia is from boxing mm-hmm. Leon's been a heavy drinker his whole life he's been a drug abuser they're not sure if it's a perfect storm of all three mm-hmm. or where it's from so he's fighting that but he's, still got, he's got a good connection with his kids um, Corey Darrell, um, and he also is married to a, nice, a lovely woman named Brenda, and he has a, a nice home life, but unfortunately, he's got a big battle on his hands. In the um, case of Michael, Michael, everybody said, was the one who handled things differently. He got out early, he banked his money, right? You know, Butch Lewis was handling his money. And there was thirty one million he made in the ring. It, it, it supposedly had been all put in zero coupon bonds, and Michael could retire for the rest of his life. And everybody was looking at Butch Lewis as a genius, and also as this guardian of Michael. But when Butch Lewis passed away unexpectedly, the money was gone, wow. and there was a lawsuit. Michael filed a suit against the estate of Butch Lewis that his bills didn't continue being paid because Butch Lewis wrote all the checks. And what was happening is Butch Lewis had taken Michael's money and put it into his own account and was spending it as need be. And I guess if Butch Lewis were alive, he'd say, well, look, I would have continued to pay those bills. I would have figured out a way to pay the bills. But the fact is the money was gone when Butch Lewis died. So Michael is now still living in Delaware and he's living what the estate has, the settlement says Michael will continue to live in the means he's become accustomed, which is not a very extravagant lifestyle. Michael was a very brutal guy. So they'll continue to pay those bills, but he no longer has the money in the bank. So, you know, he, he his story is better in that he still has his acuity and that he's still sharp. He's in good shape. Really very, very nice guy. But, um, but he doesn't have the money that he thought he had. Now,
0: John, uh, tell us, where can our listeners get the book? Oh well, you can get these stories, and believe
1: me, many, many more. There are the, the book is, is really filled with a lot of great stories, and it's available on Amazon. It's also available at Barnes and Noble or wherever books are sold. I mean, it should be around in pretty much any bookstore at this point. It's on barnesandnoble.com dot com as well. It's available on for Kindle and for eBooks. So I encourage everybody to buy it, and if they want to uh, get in touch with me. They can reach me through my website, johnfloriowriter.com, and there's a place on there they can uh, they can get in touch with me. The book, by the way, is also on Facebook, facebook.com/slash One Punch from
0: the Promised Land. Fantastic, John Florio. One Punch from the Promised Land. Leon Spinks, Michael Spinks, and the Myth of the Heavyweight Title. John, thank you once again for joining us, guys. Make sure you go out and buy this book. All right, thanks for having us.